I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, July 3rd, 2021, and this is episode 127 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. And this week's best thing is... It's a very good question. I've been... Trying to figure out what this week's best thing was, because I had a tough week. Um, just wasn't, like, emotionally, just kind of had the blahs, was sort of struggling to be motivated and get things done, which is a tough place to be. Um, I took a lot of naps. I rested a lot, which, according to the nap ministry, is what we should be doing. So I don't feel guilty about that. I just, uh, I don't know. But I did want to talk about the Requiem of Silence pre-order campaign, which I'm excited about, because I finally got the form up. <laughs> I think I did it last week, uh, but I don't know if I told you guys about it. So Requiem of Silence comes out August 17th, 2021. And if you pre-order it, you can get a swag pack with stickers, bookmarks, and I'm going to do a postcard of the map, I believe, the color version of the map of the world. I haven't actually done it yet, but that is on my list, so... No pictures of that yet. Um, maybe I'll mock up something. Anyway, if you would like to pre-order Requiem of Silence, book four in the Earthsinger Chronicles, and enter the pre-order giveaway to receive your goodies the day that, well, they're not gonna, you're not going to receive them the day it comes out, but shortly after the book comes out, you will receive the swag pack. It is lpnlp.com slash requiem dash pre-order. The link is in the show notes, and it is open to international. Uh everyone around the globe, because I have a bunch of international stamps. And I can fit all of this in an envelope, which is important if you are an author thinking of doing giveaways. The very first giveaway I did, I gave away the trading cards, the Song of Blood and Stone trading cards, which are nine cards. Each of them have one of the houses, one of the nine houses, the illustration, and a little bit about the house. But because it is a pack of nine trading cards, it is lumpy. And it actually... I couldn't just use a regular stamp. So I had to pay extra because it couldn't go through the, at the post office, they have a, whatever the machine is. If it's too lumpy, it can't go through, then they charge you extra. So that was an important lesson learned. Um, and don't give swag that you can't fit into an envelope, but you can buy envelopes of a variety of sizes. So yes, now I try to do it with one stamp. It's just much easier on me. And ultimately, if it's not super easy, I probably won't do it. So lpnlp.com slash requiem dash pre-order. And I should put a link on the actual Requiem page. I will make a note to do that. So that should be there by the time you listen to this. Writing update. Um, in writing news, I actually finished the fast draft of the end of the current work in progress, which is Savage City. It's the paranormal romance, futuristic dystopian shifter story. And uh, yeah, yesterday I pushed myself to actually fast draft through the end of the book, which I had originally wanted to get done, I believe, like Tuesday or Wednesday. And I didn't because A, fast drafting feels terrible. And it also feels worse when I'm not sure that I'm going in the right direction. So I actually took a couple of days in the middle of the week and reread the entire thing. I, I exported it out of Scrivener and put it on my Remarkable, which is the tablet, paper writing tablet. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Um, 
but it takes EPUBs and I can write on it with the st- with the stylus. And I like that better than actually writing on the iPad Pro because of the eye strain. So the Remarkable is good because it's like a Kindle. It has the e-ink, the electric ink, and I can't read on my iPad or my iPhone for very long periods of time because of the eye strain, because of the backlit. So anyway, I put the EPUB onto my Remarkable and then I went through and I made little changes like tweaks, um, errors that I saw, just word corrections, things like that. It's like the pass that I usually do on paper. And I still I still probably will do my final passes on paper, print it out, and then do it by hand. But the Remarkable is basically the same process without all of the paper wasted. And um, then I can go back in and make the changes inside of Scrivener. So that's what I did this week, just to refamiliarize myself with the entire story, make sure that I'm on the right track. Um, I was feeling, you know, just like I just needed to take a step back before I get to the end because there was a ton of stuff happening at the end that made absolutely no sense that I was like, I have not laid the groundwork for these things. And in the fast draft that I did, that I completed yesterday, I uh, realized more stuff that I was like, oh, wait, it's a really important decision. The thing that she does that is the culmination of her internal arc sort of comes out of nowhere. And it's like, I thought I was building up to that again. So anyway, that's all revision stuff, which is fine. Um, And I think that one of the problems I had with this book and why it's been just pushing at me and pushing at me and I've just been spinning my wheels is because I did not fast draft the whole thing this time. I thought since I had done so many versions of this book for so many years and the story was in my head, the, the core story, the things that don't change, because lots of t- has changed. I thought that that was one of the reasons why um, I could not do the fast draft, write more of a clean draft. And because clean drafting feels so much better. And the beginning of this process when everything was going really smoothly and I was just writing and I was just getting the words every day and it was like, this is amazing. What's happening? This is not how it usually goes, but it's amazing. So I'm going to keep with it. That was probably when I should have said, hmm, like I, I I could tell that it was going to go off track. And it did. It went off track in a big way, which is why we fast draft. I didn't fast draft the whole thing from beginning to end. I got caught up in the rush, the endorphin high of writing words that sounded good and felt good. And because I hate fast drafting. I hate first drafts. And I was like, oh, well, maybe this has changed. And my process has taught me that it hasn't. So I have a standing request of my mastermind partners that if they hear me talking every week about not fast drafting, they're supposed to stop me. I will make the same request of you, dear listener. If when I'm writing my next book or at some point down the road, I'm supposed to be fast drafting and I'm like, I'm throwing all that out the window and writing clean words. Someone please in the comments be like, Leslie, remember that you said to remind you if you did this, that you were going off the rails and that that was a bad idea. I would appreciate that (laughs) because I'm always fighting against myself. But yeah, even fast drafting the the last like last third of the book, basically act three, um, which is not technically a third, but anyway, part of act two and act three, (sighs) even with the fast draft, I mean, every scene I was like, oh wait, that doesn't make sense. How did it, how can you, wait, what, what? Which is why we fast draft. Um, So we don't write ourselves, or so we minimize writing ourselves into corners. 
as much as possible. I mean, it's still going to happen. Anyway, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache if I had followed my own rule, ignored how wonderful those endorphins were feeling when all of the words were coming and they were coming clean, and recognized that even though that felt really good, it was going to cause me problems down the road. Because I'm not able to see it until I write it. And I was talking to someone about plotting and pantsing. And yes, I'm a plotter. I have a detailed plot. That doesn't mean that I know what's going to happen in the book. (laughs) Uh, It just means that this is what I think is going to happen. And when I write the fast draft, I will find out if I'm right or if I'm wrong. And at that point, it's relatively low effort or it's less effort to fix it, to get back on the right track, as opposed to when you have 50,000 clean words and you realize the character motivation is wrong. Uh, That's a little harder to come back from. As we have learned with this manuscript, and unfortunately, I feel like I know this and in two years, I'll forget it again and I will be back in the same place. But maybe that's the journey. Maybe that is just what, what the journey is supposed to be. I did officially push the date back with my editor. It was so funny because she emailed me um, right when I was going to email her to push the date back. And she was like, oh, we can do it a week earlier. So I have time open up on my schedule. And I'm like, ah, I was just going to tell you I need it like two weeks later. So that was a little heartbreaking because back when I booked it, when everything was going really well, I was thinking, oh, I'll push it. You know, I was like, I'll have it done by the end of uh, end of June, but I'll make it mid-July just in case, you know, because I always like to have the buffer. And wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been able to give it to her a week early? Alas, it was not meant to be, as we know. So flexibility is uh, is a good thing to have. Um, deadlines are important to me, though. They really push me. But yeah, like I said, I think I said last week, I, I might have been able to make the July 12th deadline. But I don't know. It would have been an extraordinary effort, a lot of stress. And there's not really a reason to like manufacture stress. There's plenty of stress in the world already. So I'm happy with where things are. I don't know when this book is coming out anyway, as I said last week. So we'll just take it as it comes. I am working on two books at once. I'm working on plotting this other book, this 1830s story. And because I had gotten feedback from uh, the original synopsis that I submitted, and it was good feedback. It just required me to reconceive some things. So that's been a struggle. And what I was doing with that story, so we have a, a main character, and I had picked an Enneagram, so the personality type. And then I think this week I realized that is not the right. Well, once I got the feedback, I chose a different personality type uh, than I had before because the changes that they wanted to the character. And I was like, okay, and so the character was at a different point in her life than I had originally thought about. So I was like, well, at this point in her life, you know, she's kind of just getting started on her journey and she wouldn't, I don't know. I felt like I needed to change the personality type. And this week I realized I need to change it to something else. It just wasn't working. I couldn't wrap my head around the 
personality. I couldn't wrap my head around the changes. If I didn't know the personality, then I couldn't figure out what her actions would be. Like, you know, the actions should come from the character. I do a lot of plot first writing. So I know what the story I want to tell. I know the points I want to hit. And especially with this, when the story kind of originated elsewhere, and I'm trying to make it so that it's something I can write while still being in line with, you know, the original vision of it. And um, I've just been really having a difficult time wrapping my head around it. So instead of Enneagrams, I decided to try a different method of character development, which is the archetypes. So several people had talked to me about this book, The Complete Writer's Guide to Heroes and Heroines, 16 Master Archetypes by Tammy Cowden, Carol Lefevre, and Sue Veters. And so, yeah, I finally, you know, I bought this a few months ago and I looked through it. And so I was like, hmm, none of the Enneagrams were quite right. And I know you can't just pick one and that's it. Like people have a variety of shades to their personalities and you have to, they, Enneagrams even have wings. So they could be an eight with a two wing or a six wing or whatever um, to bring in those other aspects of personality. But it just wasn't, I just couldn't grasp onto that. So I was like, let me try something different. So I went through the heroes and heroines um, archetypes. And so I've picked, I'm going to layer archetypes as opposed to trying to layer the Enneagrams. And it feels a little bit better to me uh, doing it that way. So I was reading through that book, trying to get the personality of this main character straight. And so that I can figure out how she would respond to these external forces. You know, you have to know a little bit about the character. I mean, you could do it either way. You could say, these are the things that I'm going to have happen. Who is the character that this happens to? Like, Who is the person that needs these things in order to grow? Where does she start? Where does she end? Or you can start with the character and then what does this, I mean, kind of just the opposite way. What actions, uh, what external stimuli would force this character to grow and change? And then also just be in line with the art, the story as it is. Like there is a story that we're trying to tell. So a lot of plotting and character development is kind of going back and forth. And I, I usually do that. I'm like, I start with the core, you know, I, I pick whether it's an Enneagram or an archetype. And then I go back to the plot and say, okay, these are some things that could happen. I've been using my index cards more for both of these projects. So with this one, since I'm in the plotting stage, um, every time I have an idea about something that could happen, I write it down in an index card and put it in my little index card box. And so um, ideas about characters, what they might do, situations that might come up um, since it's historical, something cool I found in research that I would like to incorporate, all of that goes in the index cards. And then every once in a while, I take them all out and look at them and remind myself of what I've written. And I've been doing that with Savage City too, as I have been going through the end of it. And it's, I think it's a cool, it's a helpful process. I first... Um, I think Susan Denard was the person who I've heard about that from. Like I've used index cards in a variety of different ways, but this sort of putting it on the index card as opposed to putting it in my notebook, which is where I would usually do, then it's like flipping back. Where was that idea? Like that was, you know, two weeks, 10 pages ago. Index cards are like a discrete thing. So you can just pile them all out, look at them all or flip through them. And then I can say, oh, I used this. I didn't use this yet. I might not use that and kind of categorize them like that. So that's super helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I really need to get a handle on this main character and then the secondary characters because they, they need to either, 
feel like they need to work in opposition almost. There has to be some kind of conflict between them. They have to be, they have to be different characters. They have to have different personalities so that they clash, but also help each other. And that's part of the story that I'm telling. And yeah, so working on two different things at once is also a little difficult because I'll get caught up in one. And what I've been doing is the one that is hardest I start with. So I'm starting with the plotting of this new story. I do that for about an hour before I move to Savage City, which is was just either fast drafting or revising. Because um, I found that if I was, I was putting off the plotting of the new story, and I was like, oh, I'll do it after I check my email. I'll do it after I get some work done. And then four o'clock came and I was completely exhausted, had no mental, you know, bandwidth for this project. So do it first. That is the most important rule I've ever learned about writing. Do it first or as close to first as possible. I credit Margie Lawson for that. Um, yeah, you know, eat the frog. I've also heard people say, just start out with the hardest task, the thing you don't want to do, the thing you want to do the least, I guess, and get that done and then move on to other things. You can reward yourself with things you want to do. Like I reward myself with with reading. You know, after I get done with my day, I'm like, ah, oh, now I can sit down and read this book. <laughs> with the plotting, I was also, and the, and the character building, I've been really trying to get to the point where I know the character well enough to fill out a character sheet, um, a character arc progression worksheet that I use the ones from onestopforwriters.com. Basically, you just, I'm trying to get to the point where I can figure out the character's outer motivation, inner motivation, outer conflict, inner conflict, lie, wound, fear, and resolution. And um, get that filled out, printed out, so I can have it in front of me when I write eventually. And I was having some trouble with wounds, lies, and fatal flaws. So fatal flaw isn't actually on this worksheet, but it's always helpful to understand it. And I was having some confusion. I knew that your wound, the character's wound, causes the lie, and the lie is the misbelief. And I came across a post on Reddit where someone was having this confusion about um, flaws versus lies. And I was also just, since I was kind of spinning myself in circles, I lost track of what which was which. And I read this, and it really helped. Lies are how a character hurts themselves. So their lie or their misbelief is the thing that they need to overcome internally. A flaw is how the character hurts the world. And uh, it's the externalized lie, I guess. So that was really interesting. I really, it was a good reminder because I feel like I've read that somewhere or heard that somewhere before, but I forgot. And that helped me clarify. I really like using the sacred flaw method, which is in the Science of Storytelling book by Will Storr. And I created a worksheet for that. Um, and I've talked about that before. But, you know, the character's flaw is also what they think their superpower is. So it's their way of viewing the world that helps them cope with all of their inner pain, with their wound. But um, it's also the thing they have to overcome, their flaw, right? In, in a positive change arc. Or I guess in a negative change arc, they would give in to the flaw. And a flat arc... I mean, every character has flaws, but I'd have to look at that again. I guess in a flat arc, they're not super flawed. Um, the world is more flawed. Like a flat arc is not concerned with the character's flaw as much as it is the world's flaw. And the character is trying to impress their will, their, you know, rightness, quote unquote, on the world. Anyway, 
I've been mired in the world of wounds, lies, and fatal flaws all week. And I think I'm starting to understand this character. I I have this main character, and then I have the secondary character who's kind of like the sidekick almost. Um, That's not really accurate, but we'll call it that for now. I was thinking of it originally in my original version as a mentor-mentee, but now that we're moving my main character back a little bit, more of an origin story, then it's less of a mentor relationship and more of a, I don't know, just a sub-character, you know, just a supporting character in in the story who has her own journey and has her own arc as well. So there's two female characters that I have to figure out their personalities, what makes them work well together and what makes them clash and come into conflict. Now, neither of these are the antagonists. They're both, these are both like protagonist and semi-protagonist or whatever. And I also have to figure out well, I also have to figure out more about the antagonist, which um, I don't think is going to change too much from what I had originally. So, yeah, that is, that's what's happening. That's what I'm thinking about. In other news, um, in-person events. I got three different emails this week about in-person events that are starting to be scheduled. Uh, this year, next year, I got invited to an event in 2023. Uh, but they have to plan ahead of time and get a grant. So that's super exciting. Uh, the first thing I'm going to be doing in person is this August in DC, AwesomeCon, which is at the convention center downtown in DC. Uh, I've been to AwesomeCon before. It is a lot, but they're having a book fair this year. And so I'm taking part in some panels for the book fair and I guess a signing maybe. Um, so that is super exciting. It'll be the first in person thing since pandemic times and uh yeah should be cool I'm, I'm interested to see if it's going to be as crowded as the last time i went i have a feeling probably not but you never know people are kind of itching to get out i don't feel bad for people who choose not to get vaccinated i do feel bad for people who for, who cannot for for whatever reason there's people who for medical reasons can't get vaccinated and and that must be really difficult it's going to be interesting it's going to be really interesting getting back out there and doing big things again uh because it's been nice being home. As much as Zoom events have been getting difficult, uh, being, you know, interacting with people in person is always energizing and energy draining. <laughs> and my August is going to be insane because my book comes out. Awesome Con is like the weekend of after my book comes out. Um, so there's a bunch of online events for the launch, the con, and then immediately after that, I'm going to a writer's retreat in Florida and... I think I'm going to be having to curl up into a ball every night like with headphones on. Or like, I'm going to get my noise-canceling headphones because it'll be a lot of activity, which is very intense for me. And I don't know what my deadlines are going to be in August. Um, but the, right, the point of the writing retreat, obviously, is to write. I, I already told them, like, I'm here to write. I don't know about y'all. I'm not going to be at one of these retreats where everybody's just talking and drinking wine. <laughs> a, I don't drink wine. Um, and B, like, I talk, but... Seriously, we have to write. But they're all like professional, like published authors. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a big deal. Everybody's going to probably be having deadlines and I am excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, if there's any other rock climbing fans out there, uh, that I, I supported this board game on Kickstarter. It's called First Ascent. It's a rock climbing board game and it looks really cool. So I will link to that in the show notes. Uh, First Ascent game on Kickstarter. And yeah, like since I, I'm not, a big gamer at all. Uh, we learned how to play. What is that game? It took us like 
three hours. By us, I mean my mom and my brother. Because, oh, my brother had bought it for me like a couple of years ago. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. It's a tabletop game. It's like one of those very complicated ones. Like not like Monopoly or anything, like super complicated. And I had never played anything like that before. Like think Settlers of Catan. And this one was called Seven Wonders. And so we spent probably three hours like reading the manual, doing practice games, figuring it out. And now we play it all the time. We get together and we have game nights um, and try to teach other family members and friends to play it. It's really cool. I, I really like Seven Wonders. And I've tried a couple of other games. So yeah, not a, not a big gamer. This one, hopefully it's not as complicated, but I guess it's in that style. And if you're used to playing those kinds of games, then they make sense to you. Like once you get one, it's easier to get other ones. But that first time I was like, Oh, my brain. What is happening here? <laughs> anyway, um, if you want to check that out, check out that Kickstarter. I will link to it. So that is it for me for this week. Uh, my goal for this week is to get on that revision, start figuring out how I'm going to finish this book, <laughs> you know, get a schedule for my revision so I can meet my new date and uh, just keep pushing through and, and try to get this other project, get the synopsis in an, in a good place where I can submit it again. So I will talk to you next week. Happy 4th. It's the 4th of July uh, weekend, and I'm not doing anything special. But if you are, have a wonderful time. <laughs> for episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.